Welcome to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to talk about X-Men number 22, the July 1966 issue. Yeah. Last issue it said, uh, next issue, Count Nefaria, Nuff Said, which, as I said last uh, episode, is kind of like, oh, Nuff Said. I mean, that basically tells you everything you need to know, right? Like, I don't need to say anything more. I don't need to say who Count Nefaria is or, or what he's done or anything like that because you already know. Well, I did a little bit of research this time around. Okay. And uh, Count Nefaria is, if, you're, if, you're, if you read all of the Marvel magazines, he's a pretty regular villain. Uh, all of the Marvel magazines pre-1966 or during 1966? Well, I calculated... Well, I didn't calculate, <laughs> but I looked up the last appearance of Count Navaria, and it was Tales of Suspense number 68, the August 1965 issue. Okay, so he's somewhat current. Um, I'd be interested if you have statistics on the other villains that we will... I do. Oh, I can't wait. Do you have them, like, written down so, like, as we hit them, you can be like... Exactly. Man, Adam, this (laughs) show would be a failure without you. That's right. I did my research this time around. Man. All right. So, on the cover of this particular issue, it says, Gangway, here comes a startling stampede of yesteryear's most sensational supervillains. And I am already... If I'm a first-time X-Men buyer, and this is the cover that I'm presented with at the grocery store... I I look on to the Avengers because this is not a compelling <laughs> cover at all. First of all, well, it, looks, it looks like you have Dracula on the cover. There's bats flying out of his cape. And then you've got these goofy supervillains with stupid-looking costumes. And then these heads floating on the side. I mean, nothing on here says, this is going to be awesome. If it weren't for, like, Straw Man in the middle, it might be okay. And maybe get rid of Christmas Tree Guy on the side. <laughs> The rest of them are okay. I would agree with that statement, but I'm still looking at Count Nefaria going like, eh, Dracula, I don't know. Is that, are we really, is next issue, are we going to fight Frankenstein? Because, uh... Well, maybe if it was, if it's the 1960s, people are like, oh, Dracula. It's like, it's like seeing zombies on the cover of something. Well, I'm almost wondering if the idea here is that in 1966, people grab this and they're like, oh my god! Tree Man is back, and so is Porky Head, and so is... Oh, these are all my favorite... Count Nefaria's in this issue. This is going to be awesome. I I don't know. Here we are with a 2011 audience. Uh, I don't think we're going to appreciate these villains as much as maybe they were back in 1966. But let's jump in and find out. Imagine, dear listener, that you have, let's see, some zombies on the cover... And those guys from those Twilight movies are on the cover. Some vampires and some werewolves. I see what you're saying. So imagine if that was the cover today, and then we fast-forwarded like 40 years, and people are like, who are these 
Who are these shining kids that have vampire teeth? Exactly. This doesn't make any sense. All right, <laughs> fine. So as we open up the book, we find out that Stan Lee, first of all, is on vacation. It says it right there. Oh, wow. Since yeah. Stan is on vacation now, you know, this is like what they had to do before blogging. They had to produce a comic book just so that they could give status updates. <laughs> so it's weird that you would bother telling everybody that Stan Lee's on vacation because no one would ever know. Well, yeah. well, actually, I I think as we progress through this issue, I'm going to point out some of the ways in which I think the Marvel staff took advantage of uh, Stan Lee's vacation time. Okay, okay. So, anyways, uh, it's still edited by Stan, but it says, "What's that word? Emeritus? Editor emeritus? I don't know what that means." I don't either. Okay. And then the script is by Roy Thomas. The art is by Jay Gavin. Uh, The inking is by Dick Ayers. The lettering is by Artie Simic. And Colosso, whatever that might be, is by (laughs) Irving Forbush Robotics Incorporated. Hmm. I wonder Hmm. if we'll find out what this Colosso is. I hope so. The issue (laughs) is entitled Divided We Fall. Hmm. So maybe the next issue will be called United We Stand. I hope so. So (laughs) we start off in the X-Men's danger room where the professor is introducing the team to his new invention, or I don't know what it is, but Colossal. It doesn't really, I, I kind of imagine that, well, okay, it's probably an invention, but I don't think anywhere in the comic series do we get any sort of background that the professor is any sort of electronics wizard, but... Whatever. Well, he shops at Target. We know this. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so he has he introduces the team to Colosso. Apparently, the team has been fighting so many robots that the professor decided ah, I better create a robot of my own. See, now this seems like you're not going where the puck is going. You're going where the puck has been. If you've yeah. already fought two robots, maybe it's time you like devise like an alien or something for the X Men to fight. <laughs> so Colosso comes out, and he is he's he's a big dude. He's got a blinking chest. He's got a blinking head. Well, the little eye isn't blinking. Well, okay, that's true. But but the back of his head is blinking and his chest is blinking. The professor says, here he is, everybody. You got five minutes to, to fight him because the professor is a, a sadomasochist or something like that. He hasn't called out time in a while. No, no. And it actually kind of feels like he's phoning this one in because he's not like, team, here's a big elaborate story that means nothing. And now you have five minutes to fight this guy. It's just... You have five minutes to fight this guy. I'll be over here. Maybe this fight is more than meets the eye. Could be. So Iceman comments on how uh, Cyclops is going to need every bit of his deputy leadership in order to make this thing happen, which to me seems like, all right, the team now realizes that they need to act as a team in unison. But instead, the yeah, angel... last issue, he was right. Mm-hmm. But instead, the angel flies headlong into the, the robot. To which I got to ask... You got a big, this robot, if I'm looking at him, is probably 11 feet tall. What the hell is a guy with wings going to do to that? And why is he flying right at its head? Is he going to, like, punch him in his metal head? Like, doesn't seem to make much sense. But he flies headlong into uh, Colosso's head and... Cyclops says, fly an evasion course Mm. and be careful not to be dazed by those flashing lights. But does Angel listen? No. And he gets blasted. Mm -hmm. Stupid playboy millionaire. And uh, Marvel Girl has to catch him mm-hmm. using her telekinesis. Iceman throws some ice underneath Colosso. 
It's because that's what they did against the Sentinels a couple issues ago, and so Iceman naively assumes that the same tactic will work against Colosso. And Jean Grey follows the lead, attempts to push over Colosso with the te- her telekinesis, but he's too powerful. Professor X, who was clearly aware of the X-Men's uh, desires to repeat exactly what they did with the Sentinels, built some handy little melting... Uh, leg devices. The professor realizes that the X-Men lack creativity, and and he (laughs) pretty much predicted that they will try to use the same plan every single time. Then the most powerful and the most tragic of the mutant band steps to the fore. I like how they call it tragic. Out of the way, all of you! I'm unleashing my power beam! Zap! Then he thinks to himself... The only time I'm not a menace to society is when I'm combating one. I'm so tragic. (laughs) Careful with those eyes. Colosso is invulnerable to Cyclops' blast, and Cyclops nearly takes out Beast, proving that he's right. He's got to be more careful with his beam. Yeah, and he's supposed to be the leader, you know. It's kind of embarrassing. Then we see a picture of kind of the X-Men all acting on their own, and basically making buffoons out of themselves as they try to take on uh, Colosso individually. And then Colosso himself, he doesn't look much cooler. I mean, he <laughs> this is not a very <laughs> flattering pose of this awesome robot that they're fighting. I don't think his arms have any other position. They're always open. <laughs> Just outstretched. All he can do is swivel. It actually kind of looks like Colosso is looking for a hug. <laughs> Love? <laughs> the professor didn't realize what he had programmed Colosso with, and really, Colosso is just looking for some hugs, and the X-Men are trying to attack him. Oh, Professor. Marvel Girl says, careful, Hank, it'll take more than raw strength to defeat the robot. To which Beast is like, fear not, female! <laughs> once again. Once, uh, putting, putting into question, once again, Beast's sexuality. I don't know, or just his sensitivity, if nothing else. Maybe he's into girls, but I don't think he treats them with very much respect. Watch it, female. I don't think he's into them. He calls them <laughs> females. I mean, he clearly doesn't want to associate with their kind. So uh, Beast, who's supposed to be the smart one, uh, he kind of leaps at him. And then the Colosso ducks, to which Beast is like, oh, it ducked. How frustrating. I guess the Beast's plan was that he was going to come from behind him and, and grab him. So he was surprised when Colosso did not need to see Beast. That's and, true. And ducked out of the way. And Beast follows that up with, but it couldn't have seen me unless the professor is guiding it from below. But the professor mentally reiterates to presumably just the beast that he's doing nothing. He's just hanging out watching. So it's at this point that our trusted deputy leader realizes that attacking without a plan or without using teamwork is not going to work. And he comes up with the genius idea of using teamwork. Which is great because the X-Men, one of the great things about the X-Men is that they always talk about teamwork. Mm -hmm. It's one of the themes that lasts throughout the entire series. To which Iceman is like, Oh, that must be it. Of course. (laughs) The same way we've managed managed to defeat our other robot opponents. Yeah. At what point in in, uh, history has it been like, you know what? We shouldn't use teamwork this time. This time I want everybody to do whatever they want to as we try to take down our opponent. That'll do it. The problem with this is that they did kind of try to use teamwork when Iceman froze the floor and Marvel Girl 
tried to knock him over with telekinesis. That's uh, yeah. that's teamwork. It wasn't all five of them, though. It was just two of them. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> and it was just Marvel Girl was like, oh, that's stupid. No, no, no. All right, fine, fine. I'll do my part. Oh, it didn't work. You know, she, he was just, yeah. she was just backing him up. I mean, she didn't want to do that. She knew that. She was too smart to realize that that plan would work twice in a row. True, true. <laughs> so they're running out of time because, remember, the professor gave them a five-minute uh, time limit. And he, he now is no longer wanting a hug, but he's he's kind of doing a, uh, a Frankenstein walk or a mummy walk, or I don't know what he's doing. Uh. I, I would if, if, if Colosso makes a noise, that's the noise he's making right now. <laughs> so the X-Men run away. <laughs> yep. But somehow they don't manage to run away, and Cyclops and Jean Grey are grabbed by Colosso. Yeah, well, he's outstretched his arms again, because you're right, Marvel Girl and Cyclops are heading in opposite directions, yet somehow Colosso captures the two of them. And uh, sensing that the professor is too warm, Cyclops <laughs> demands that Jean Grey pull his blanket off of him and then throws it over the head of... The professor's uh, like, Hey, I'm not wearing pants under this blanket. Give me that <laughs> thing back. He's got like a hustler under there. He's like, come on, this is what I do during training. You stupid kids, give me my blanket back. It's the only shred of decency I have left. Can't you see? I can't even walk. Give me this. No, that doesn't happen. No, instead, the Cyclops is actually using the blanket to block the head of uh, Colosso. Colosso, yeah. Disrupts his robotic sensory powers. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he promptly drops Jean Grey and Cyclops. We'll hit the, ho- the floor hard. Watch yourself. This- she, of course, has telekinesis, so I'm not sure why he's telling her that. Well, this is what they're trying to convey because Angel swoops down and says, Don't be so melodramatic, Scott. And he catch- catches uh, Cyclops, uh, at which point Cyclops is like, Oh, he's right. I just can't let myself... Uh, or I, I must just watch out for myself, for she must never know how much I care for her. So that was him caring for her. Okay. Oh, okay. that ground's going to hurt. Oh, it's going to smart when we hit the ground. I don't know. It just... Protect yourself, Jean Grey. Because <laughs> he wouldn't I'm say... I'm super worried about you. <laughs> that would be awesome if he said that. Then afterwards. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Get out of my way, female. <laughs> I wasn't really worried about you. I would have said the same thing to Iceman. Iceman, I, I was, care for you! <laughs> I was worried about slipping on your blood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your icky girl blood. Get away from me, yeah. cooties! <laughs> uh, okay, so then uh, the beast jumps up and he ties the uh, bl- blanket on Colossus' head, further affirming that this blanket won't be coming off. Uh, and I then... Guess. Iceman freezes the blanket to Colosso's head and also his arms. He was reaching up to take the blanket off. Mm-hmm. So his arms get trapped in the nice ice cube. Teamwork. Cyclops had the idea. Marvel Girl brought the blanket over. Beast tied the knot. Iceman is freezing uh, Colosso's hands to his head. Angel saved Cyclops. <laughs> it just Angel didn't seem to have much of a part there. Well, no, I mean, at this point, all the X-Men kind of tackle him. Iceman pushes him with his ice. Angel pushes him with his flight. Beast lunges into him. Uh, Jean Grey pushes him with telekinesis. And Cyclops blasts a hole in the floor, so he falls backwards. I want to point out, there's a little bit of a typo in the third panel. 
It says, but while the X-Men prepare their final attack, Colossus unveils still more startling surprises. So this is the origin issue of Colossus. <laughs> His first appearance. I did, I did notice that, yeah. Actually, Professor Xavier invented Colossus. Yeah. Have I just blown your mind? I can't believe this isn't the most valuable issue in the entire X-Men collection. Actually, what I did want to say, obviously that's a typo, but what I wanted to say with this last panel that you were just describing here, uh, I think that, you know how Todd McFarlane takes various scenes from movies or comic books or TV shows and then makes a replica toy out of them? Mm-hmm. I actually think that this is kind of a cool, this would be a very cool 3D plastic molded diorama. Yeah, agreed, actually. All of the X-Men, I would say without exception, all of the X-Men are in a action, cool pose. And the way Colossus is kind of like angling backwards, he doesn't, he doesn't look stupid. He's actually falling down with grace. He's kind of frozen. And Iceman's got his giant ice mountain. It, it's, it's, it's a very cool panel. You know what? I would change Colosso to a Sentinel, though. Uh, well, but then, then it's Just not... Just for that yeah, more classic... Yeah, because you're right. You're, it's going to be difficult to sell a Colosso toy. You're right, you're right. Uh, or make it Colossus. <laughs> now you're talking. The X-Men are fighting a giant Colossus. People will be in the comic book store saying, this is a really cool model, but it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> this never happened. Okay, so they use teamwork to defeat Colosso, and Colosso falls over and goes, Thoom! The professor congratulates them. So here's what the X-Men say, like, all we needed to use was teamwork. If I was the professor, I would literally be like this. <laughs> just that slow clap and just be like, I am so disappointed in all of you. Why? They, they beat Colosso in under five minutes. Well, barely. presumably this is like the third or fourth year they've been X-Men, and throughout the entire series, the professor has been stressing teamwork and as it turns out as they defeat all of their enemies it's with teamwork and so for them to come to the realization that all we needed was a little bit of teamwork to defeat this foe should not be something celebrated positive reinforcement jeremy positive reinforcement that is celebrating mediocrity (laughs) (laughs) oh and the professor says i'll improve colosso and he'll be back again one day maybe sometime soon you never know yeah that's that's foreshadowing so because of uh, the X-Men... I hope he comes back every issue. <laughs> <laughs> He's the opening three or six pages of every comic book. Yeah. I do have to remind everybody here that we've spent six pages battling a, battling a Danger Room foe. I, I have to say, this was probably the best part of the issue. Not to dissuade anybody from continuing to listen. No, no, no. Keep listening. It, gets, it gets better, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the professor, uh, after all of their battles... Uh, and because their last vacation was interrupted, gives them... This is yet- like their eighth vacation. <laughs> Another, I was just going to say, man. They, well, it's because every vacation they go on, within three hours, somebody is trying to kill them. So if I were the professor, I'd say, you know what? We're all going to stay home this time. <laughs> we're going to get some pizzas, uh, watch a couple movies, you know, tell ghost stories. But no, he, he gives them all vacation time. And I think that this might actually be the... First time we learn that Jean Grey has a sister in Albany? Yeah, she didn't want to visit the sister during the other seven vacations. (laughs) Just this one. But this time she mentions them, or mentions her. And I only mention that because Jean Grey's sister may play a somewhat important role somewhere down the line. 
You know, I think the X-Men are still trying to take a vacation to this day. You don't think it's ever actually happened? No, I think like every fourth or fifth issue, the professor is like, you guys should really go on a vacation. And then Cyclops takes over and he's like, everybody, it's time for that vacation. (laughs) So the X-Men head off onto their vacation and uh, Gene and Warren get together to go on a pseudo date. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gene invites Scott along. Well, actually, the I mean, yeah, that the professor is sitting there like, only Cyclops remains pensive and grim. I'm becoming extremely worried about that boy. He's kind of, uh, the, the Cyclops is kind of lamenting to himself how Gene and Warren make a great couple. And then uh, Gene invites Cyclops to go on their date with them and... Warren's like, uh, y- yeah, sure. <laughs> Two's a company, three's crowd, buddy. Get my drift? Come on, man, third wheel. He doesn't say any of that, but, but he's thinking it. But Cyclops decides, I'm going to go anyway because I can't resist the temptation to spend a few more minutes near the one I love. I didn't know he was in love with Warren. <laughs> and then we get the best panel in the entire issue. Yes, the professor's head is falling off. <laughs> yeah, the professor is, I don't know, he just like... I am confined to this wheelchair, a hopeless cripple. Will there never be a rainbow for Professor Charles Xavier? (laughs) Oh, wait, no, he says, is there no chance for me? Will I never walk again? I can't accept that. I can't. Actually, he also says, they can walk in the sunshine, feel the wind stinging on their faces. Like what? You can't wheel this guy outside to get a little sunshine and wind in his face? <laughs> the love of God. You can't feel the sunshine and the wind striking his walking face. Like, just his riding face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, geez. Is this guy like afraid of the outside or something? I can't go outside. I can't walk. You fools. I will never know what water feels like. Professor, <laughs> just put your hand in the pond. No, you don't understand. I can't walk. But Professor, shut up, <laughs> female. I can barely even talk to you this way. <laughs> because I have no legs. <laughs> professor, that makes no sense. Shut up, female. All right, so anyways, we... I can drive a car and a plane. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't walk and have the sun on my face at the same time. <laughs> and I'm immensely rich. I don't know how to... I haven't been outside in years. <laughs> so anyways... But professor, you were out last week. No! Shut up, female. Yes. <laughs> Professor, it's me, Angel. I know what I said. (laughs) All right, so then we go to some secret laboratory with machines and doodads and, I don't know, like blood cells on a computer monitor or whatever the heck's going on behind Count Nefaria. But apparently we're in Count Nefaria's lair. Yeah, and here we see Count Nefaria, otherwise known as Dracula. He's prepared to strike. He's got a monocle, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. For some reason, he, uh, why is he going after the X-Men? Well, as it's, as you see in the third, well, he has just regained power of the Magia gang, whatever that is, as well as five supervillains, which he has recruited as his lieutenants. And he wants to, he's got some fiendish plan, but he needs more super-powered allies. And he stumbles upon a newspaper article that has the X-Men on the cover, very happily uh, smiling, with an editorial that says, Heroes or Villains? And he says to himself, well, maybe I can recruit these guys. Maybe they're just who I need to round out my gang. And there you have it. That's the motivation to this whole plot. Okay. (laughs) All right, I buy that. That's cool. 
I'd do the same thing if I was down there. Beast and Iceman are on vacation. Uh, they're they're going on another double date with Zelda and uh, Vera. They bump into Zelda. Everything's great, and then Beast thinks he sees Vera, but it's a man. Well, this this just goes more. I mean, lends more credibility to the people in down or Manhattan not knowing what the hippie scene is or what's going on in Greenwich Village because it's this guy with a suit and a tie and glasses and a bob haircut who's like, hey, man, it's getting so a rock and roll singer can't get no privacy anymore. Like, what rock and roll star looked like this dude in the 60s? (laughs) Other than the bob, nobody was wearing those glasses or the suit and the tie. Well, you know. I sense a little bit of disconnect between the Marvel bullpen and what was actually happening in the mid-60s, but, eh, you know, it could be me. I don't know. Maybe somebody went to, like, a uh, a small bar and they saw some folk singer and they were like, this is rock and roll, man. Well, I think what they're trying to do here is they're just trying to show the freakiness of Greenwich Village in the 60s. Cats. Cool cats. And they're trying to make fun of rock and roll singers with their long, freaky hair, like the Beatles and the Stones. I mean, I think this guy is supposed to look like oh, a mop Mick top Jagger. Dude. Yeah, but I don't think Mick Jagger ever wore a necktie that looked like that. Yeah, he did. He did. Not like that. Or a blue Didn't. sport coat. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't know about the blue sport coat. All right, moving on. My point of reference here is the fact that Beast mistook. Uh, a woman for his true desire, a man. Aha! Aha! I see what you're saying. He was like, I I really hope this is Vera. She's looking so nice these days. Oh, oh, it's a man. Oh, oh, he looks nice too. (laughs) I can hope. Can I call you, can I call you, I know your name is Waldo, but can I call you Vera just for one night, baby? I'll give you a hundred bucks. I'm a rock and roll star. I do not participate in weird sexual acts like that, you deviant. I'm going to go play my guitar now in a coffee house. Good day. So, uh, um, Vera is actually standing right behind or next to Waldo, the transsexual, transvestite, or whatever he was, rock star. <laughs> and she says, you've made a fool out of yourself. And then uh, and then he's like, oh, I, uh, I, uh, and then she's like, never mind. It was a perfectly natural mistake. You know what? She has got some um, chemical imbalances going on about herself, something fierce. And I think that lends credibility to your theory about his sexuality. Because if I'm the beast, I'm like, all right, lady, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. <laughs> you are far <laughs> too annoying. Like, I met you in the library and you were mean to me. I met you just now. You were mean to me. Forget it. Off with you. <laughs> but no, he, he takes it. Yep, yep. Well, gals, we've just got enough time to catch a show before dinner. What'll it be, Goldfinger or Thunderball? Were both of those movies out in the theater at the same time? I was going to ask the same thing, because I know there was a James Bond movie that came out, and there were two out at the same time, but that was a Sean Connery and a Roger Moore movie. Well, These are both Sean Connery movies, I believe. All right, so then uh, Vera is trying to make some chit-chat with Beast and asks what he does at that private school, and he says that he hangs around by his feet. <laughs> and Vera says, honestly, can't you ever be serious? And the delicious irony there is that the Beast is actually being honest. So we cut to dinner with Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Warren. These have literally Cyclops. been like the most boring pages of any comic book ever. First we go from like fighting robots to like some sort of romance comic. <laughs> but at any rate, 
Yeah, uh, there. This is character building. No, this is important stuff. It's this is this is what all the housewives are reading for. Um, I do have to say, okay, so they're they're sitting at the table. Cyclops wishes that he could pay for his own meal, but the angel, since he's a millionaire playboy, is paying for everybody. Uh, but Which again, they, makes me wonder: don't they get a stipend? You would think the professor would would reward them somewhat well. Right? Yeah, or like the company credit card. I mean, the professor's buying Colosso-type robots. I mean, that can't be cheap. <laughs> to give these yeah. guys like a vacation with two weeks and maybe like, okay, it's 1966, so give everybody maybe a, well, I guess they don't have credit cards, but give everybody like $150 cash. I mean, you ought to be able to buy up the town for 150 bucks in 1966, <laughs> right? That Two should, weeks, no cash. Don't come crying to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You've been living here and fighting my battles for me and traveling all over the country and all this sort of stuff. But you know what? You go, get, get some money from your parents. I ain't a charity. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, so whatever. So Angel pays for everything. But I got to say, it's a very striking image of Jean Grey here in the fourth panel. You like the one where she's uh, Warren's putting on her jacket? Yeah, she's, it's a very good rendering of her face. Yep, Jay Gavin extraordinaire. Angel puts on her coat, and Cyclops is looking. He must be awful dinner com- company. <laughs> yeah, this is how I imagine it: is Angel and Marvel Girl are just blah 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 back and forth. Uh, Marvel Girl's talking about clothes. Angel is talking about Warren Worthington Industries or whatever, and Cyclops is like, "I could kill people with my eyes. I better not speak." I might accidentally drop my glasses. <laughs> I could kill everybody in this room right now. My words might hurt somebody. Scott, did you say something? No. I'll have the gazpacho. It's like my soul, cold and red. Anyway, so uh, I do we know at this point about Cyclops's uh, family at all? We do not. Okay, so all right, so we just know he's a sad dude. So, anyways. Um, they split up. Yeah, they split up. Angel wants to know if he can drop Scott off somewhere. Scott says, "No, I got, I got, I got, I got some people I gotta meet." Who, man? We're gonna go to the bar and we're gonna get wasted on beer and booze later with my friends that you don't know from Canada. I'm going to meet right now. I'll see you. Bye, everybody. Could this be the origin of Alpha Flight? <laughs> yes. Hey, Puck and Sasquatch. <laughs> good to good to see you. There's a little, there's some thought balloons. Angel's like, oh, finally, Jean. Oh, she wants me. Jean's like, Warren is a wonderful guy, but when will you see that it is you whom I love? Referring to Scott. They officially admit their love for each other in this issue. This is a big, it's a veritable love triangle where Scott is in love with Angel. (laughs) Angel is in love with Marvel Girl and Marvel Girl's in love with Scott. (laughs) Why don't they all just do it? And the professor is also in love with He just wants to watch. My legs! I can't go out. I just, I can't do anything. I'll just watch from the window. You guys go outside and do it. I'll just creepily look from the window. I can't even watch you guys. My legs! (laughs) If I had use of my legs, then I could watch. So Cyclops is walking lonely, lonely. He's walking down a empty sidewalk, thinking to himself that I'm not meeting anybody. I just rented a hotel for two weeks. Yeah, that's really sad and pathetic. What did you do on your vacation? I sat in a hotel room for two weeks. Did you watch TV? No, couldn't afford it. No wonder he couldn't afford dinner, because he had to pay for his hotel for two weeks. So he wants to clear his head with a walk through Central Park, where 
Marvel Girl is flying through the air. It makes absolutely no sense to Scott, but he tails her anyway, and she vanishes. And he says, oh, my eyes have always been a curse. Are they now playing tricks on me as well? Meanwhile, in Grand Central Station, Marvel Girl is waiting for a train. So she's not flying in Central Park. No, no, she's not at all. Just in case you were confused. And she hears on the radio that somebody has also spotted a flying X-Man. To Marvel, and this is actually another good rendering that that arched eyebrow. Well, it's a good rendering <laughs> of Marvel Girl. She uh, she says the only other X Men that can fly other than me is the Angel. I I'd better go check this thing out. But she knows it can't be the Angel because he just left me in his car. Mm-hmm. So she pays a cabbie and she quickly gets changed into her X Men uniform and Which she does in the woods. <laughs> well, and apparently she decides to sneak through the forest like Shaggy would. Yeah. I imagine her toes make that noise, that noise. <laughs> Scooby's like right behind her doing the same little little foot shuffle that they do. Yikes. Yikes, Marvel girl. Like, look out, Scoob. She is suddenly attacked by, dun, 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 Plant Man. Mm. Soon the world will remember the name of Plant Man. You know, I remember the name of Plant Man. Wasn't he a Mega Man villain? Um, there was, there was, yeah, Sky Man, Wood Man, Air Man. There's a lot of different Man Mans in uh, in Mega Man. But what I really want to know is in the last panel on this page, his cronies are helping him, and they both have gas masks on. Mm-hmm. One in the purple coat and the in the hat. Mm-hmm. He looks he looks really sinister. He looks pretty evil. You'd think that he would be running the show. Yeah, he looks like he should be like some sort of elephant themed villain. <laughs> Elephant Man. I don't know if the world had ever known the name of Plant Man. Uh, you think they would care if if they heard it again? I mean, oh, I'm the evil, sinister Plant Man. All will kneel be- before me, and it doesn't really strike fear into the hearts of men. So, Plant Man's last appearance was in Strange Tales 121, which was the June 1964 issue. Look at you, Johnny on the spot with the dates. I was actually wondering about that. I was like, Strange Tales 121. Because I was imagining, because uh, the, t- the the cover says uh, villains of yesteryear. I'm imagining like 50s type villains. But I guess these guys are only like a couple years old. Yeah, three years. It's hard to say yesteryear when it's only like three years ago. Well, I mean, technically it is yesteryear. Mm, okay, fair enough. I mean, you say yesterday, it was it was yesterday. So yesteryear would be the year prior. Adam, why do you got to be so literal? I don't know. Just busting your chops. <laughs> so Cyclops is still skulking through the Central Park, and then he sees... Oh, I guess he, he also changed his outfit. Yep, he got dressed as well. Or undressed, as the case may be. And he sees Angel flying around. He doesn't actually have a hotel room. He just yeah. said that to himself to make himself feel better. He actually is staying in these bushes in Central Park for the next two weeks and happened to have his costume there and, and just like, well, I might as well get changed as long as I'm doing some investigating here. He was going to sleep in a treehouse. <laughs> so, yeah, he sees the angel uh, and he calls to the angel, but the angel doesn't hear him or is pretending not to hear him. But wait. We cut to where the angel is. Where is the angel? The angel is in his car. Yes, he is. He's listening to the radio, and they are also reporting that uh, some 
interesting things have been observed in the vicinity of Central Park. Now, if you go from the previous page panels where they refer to Angel flying in the park, it would make sense that Angel would be hearing the same thing and saying to himself, oh, wait, I'm not in the park. I should go check this out. But instead he says, but what would any of the gang be doing there? And why is it news that people are seeing the X-Men in the park? <laughs> Strange happenings at the park. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to make sense in a world where the Fantastic Four and the Avengers are regularly fighting the Kree, Galactus, and Skrulls. Uh, a couple of dudes flying around Central Park doesn't seem like it would be very newsworthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so the angel wonders, is it the is it Eunice or the Blob or uh, you know some other villain? I better go check it out. Because they're still on the loose. They are, as, as mentioned here, as reminded to us. So he flies in and he discovers... Himself. Himself. Mm-hmm. And he decides to follow himself and he disappears. With a prominent gleep sound. <laughs> and then he sees the scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Dastardly Scarecrow. And he, he he reiterates what we all are hearing. Mister, I'd never heard of you. <laughs> <laughs> you must be one of those villains from yesteryear we've never heard about. So the Scarecrow's last appearance was Tales of Suspense number 51, which was the March 1964 issue. So he goes back even a little bit farther. Okay, so, so we're at uh, two years. My question is, it's the same question that Angel's asking. Uh, are you responsible for that phony version of me? Do we yet know who is responsible for these illusions of the X-Men? I have to believe that it's Count Nefaria, uh, if only because we don't know what his powers are. Mm, good point. Um, I just assumed that he was, you know, like a vampire and he would fly around like a bat and suck people's blood, but you could be right. Illusions. But it could it could be any of these other characters, I suppose. So uh, the scarecrow snares Angel in a net and a bunch of crows are flying around. I think the crows are helping with the net. Apparently, Scarecrow thought was pretty ironic because Angel flies. Ah, yes. Clever. The person who took down Marvel Girl, that was Plant Man. Plant Man's ability seemed to be the ability to shoot a gun that was filled with chloroform. Yeah, and okay. it makes the plants come alive, and he then controls them, I guess. So are these... I guess what I'm trying to get at is the two people that we've encountered so far, are they mutants or are they altered or are they, what are they? Uh, I don't think they're mutants. I, I know the scarecrow is not a mutant. Okay. What's the scarecrow's power? I thought it was like striking fear into people, but maybe that's the Batman scarecrow. <laughs> I'm just getting confused. <laughs> I think that's the Batman villain because... Angel doesn't look scared and isn't acting scared. All the Scarecrow seems to have done is uh, uh, snared him in a net with his crows and, and a net, basically. I guess maybe he has the power to control crows. I mean, it changes. The, the Scarecrow that I remember is from the 90s. And that's probably the Batman villain. No, it's not. It's uh, it's actually a Ghost Rider villain. It's not this guy, though, is it? It is. Is it? Get out Same of guy. All right, all right, all right. But much evolved. Okay. I would have to imagine, because Ghost Rider would just drive through this guy. <laughs> oh, I just killed that villain. Oh, well. I End of the issue. Two-pager. Uh, okay, so uh, the Magia goons, they pick up the angels. So the angels never heard of the Scarecrow, 
But apparently he has heard of Magia, because he's like, oh, I thought their crime cartel had been smashed. So anyways, we move on to uh, the girls, uh, I'm sorry, Vera and Zelda are with Bobby and Beast. Mm -hmm. Somebody's house, maybe? And this is where Vera shows more of her bipolarism, because first she was treating him like crap, and and now he's like, oh, we're going to listen to some music, I got an idea, we should listen to the Beethoven concert coming up. And Vera's like, oh, Beast, I mean, sorry, uh, Hank, (laughs) you're so refined. Oh, Beast, you're (laughs) so refined. That was your toad voice. (laughs) The toad has morphed into Vera. That's part of uh, the stranger's uh, dastardly plan to infiltrate the X-Men. And that explains Beast's attraction for Vera. (laughs) She's really a man. Hooray! (laughs) So anyways, while they're trying to tune in the Beethoven concert, uh, they stumble across another news bulletin about the X-Men flying around Central Park. And Beast promptly leaves. <laughs> well, they first try to play it off like, well, that can't be, I mean, uh, uh, that's strange. I'm going to go home now because I'm tired. Yeah, Iceman is like, I don't know what's going on, Hank, but uh, what do we care? <laughs> <laughs> this is where I got a little bit confused in the comic, but I think maybe it's making sense. Because uh, Beast says... Um, Hey, I got to go take some tranquilizers because apparently he's admitting he's got a drug problem. <laughs> uh, but he's like, okay, Bobby, I know that that was, he's whispering this, that that was a poor excuse, but, uh, but we got to go investigate this thing. Uh, so why don't you make an excuse and, and you can meet me somewhere? Uh, what I thought was that the Iceman is staying behind with the ladies, whereas Beast is going to investigate. I didn't, uh. I think that Iceman will eventually leave the ladies, but he's got to come up with his own. I don't think they're working together, basically. As far as the tranquilizers bit, I think that, uh, you know, he just needs to take a nap. I think, what's the idea here? I need to go and get some well-earned Zs. Well, he's scared because, oh, the X-Men are flying around Central Park. Oh, oh, I I must lay down, take a tranquilizer. Yep, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so anyways... Uh, where's Hank going, Vera? To the moon, for all I care. She's not even like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize you were so upset by super-powered people flying around Central Park, honey. It's, I understand, oh my gosh, I know it's so scary with these people and their mutant abilities, and, and we don't know if they're good or bad or if their powers are, oh my gosh, maybe I could come with you and we could, we could talk about it. No, she's like, eh, pansy. Well, if you look at the, uh, look on Beast's face, he's clearly being rude. Well... I so I think she's just responding to his rudeness. And not very sensitively. I, I take her side in this one. Okay, fine, 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 fine. She knows that he's not into women anyway. <laughs> so the Beast does some investigating on his own. He goes straight to the zoo, because the last sighting took place near the zoo. And he was like, I totally want to check out the zoo, because there's animals. And he immediately is encountered by a villain from yesteryear who is known as the Porcupine, with two exclamation points. Yes, indeed. Okay, so he's, he's the Porcupine. And, uh, all right, so wh- what does he do? Well, he has some nerve gas that he shoots. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he has a suit that he built that has quills that he can control. So when the beast tries to kick it, he gets uh, a kind of cartoon-like response. 
Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so here's as I read this, I was thinking to myself, all right, you got a guy who has the wherewithal and the resources to build himself a powered suit, kind of like an Iron Man, right? And so Iron Man stuck to something kind of cool. He's like, you know what? I'm going to look like a robot, and I'm going to look kind of badass. I'm going to shoot things out of my palms, and it's going to be neat, and I'm going to fly. This guy's like, you know what? I'm going to dress myself like a porcupine, <laughs> and I'm going to have quills that I can move up or down, and I'm going to shoot nerve gas from my glove. And you know what I'm going to call myself? The porcupine. Yeah, he's pretty lame all around. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is a character that they should have left in yesteryear. So the porcupine's previous appearance was Tales to Astonish number 53, Mm -hmm. which was the March 1964 issue. Okay. Although he also had a cameo in Fantastic Four Annual number 3, which was a few months prior to this issue of X-Men, which I guess a lot of villains had a cameo in. So I'm, I'm hoping that after this issue, we never hear from him again. He becomes like Magneto in the first couple of issues. He's he's in every issue. <laughs> he's like the new X-Men nemesis. I'm the porcupine. Look at my quills. Look, they're moving. <laughs> All I knew, need to do is touch my belt and they move. Ooh, ooh. Oh, and apparently he also can throw a hypnotic disc. Which, if you can do that, why bother with the other two things? <laughs> I know, it's like, uh, it's like uh, I don't know, it's like a sundae that's got like chocolate, caramel, sprinkles, cherries, walnuts, pecans. It's like everything, like, I don't know what I want to do, so just throw everything at it, and, and I'll just do that, you know? Anyhow, so he, he, he ends up not using his quills or his nerve gas, but using his hypnotic disc to take out the beast. Which works. Yeah, it does, surprisingly well. And the guys from the Magia, they tie him up. And, uh, oh, there's a guy here, and his name is Churl. (laughs) (laughs) He won't break them ropes in a hurry, Porcupine. But why do we have to bother? Why not just bump him off? That I would gladly do, Churl. (laughs) His name is Churl. Anyways, I guess if your name is Churl, the only thing that you're going to ever be in is the Magia gang. It's very strange. Do you think, what is that, Norwegian or Swedish or... I am Churl. I am a villain for hire. I tie up good. (laughs) Shut up, Churl. All right, anyway, so this is where I got a little confused. First of all, in the little caption bar, it says, Meanwhile, worried about what may have befallen his friend, Bobby Blake returns to the hotel room he and Hank are sharing. A... Bobby Blake is sharing a room with Hank, which I think proves your theory. And B, who is Bobby Blake and why haven't we met him yet? (laughs) This is a completely new character. (laughs) They just Uh, just introduced out of the blue. Uh, So, and he knows who the beast is. So he knows, uh, he knows his secret identity, everything. This is literally the beast's boyfriend that he's hiding in the closet. Bobby Blake. Oh, the beast only wishes. (laughs) Uh, but but oddly enough, Bobby Blake seems to have the same powers as the Iceman, so I'm I'm a little worried here that this is Mimic again. <laughs> I don't know. So, Bobby Drake. I don't know, man. This? this is a typo. It's the second one. Colossus and Bobby Blake and Churl. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't yeah. have meant to call him Churl. Come on. <laughs> He was supposed to be Charles. Charles or Carl, but Churl? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. So uh, the Iceman springs into action. 
Yeah, so I guess what happened is that Iceman took the girls back to their houses or something and then returned to the hotel room where they previously were. I don't know. Yeah, sure, sure. That's a good enough explanation for me. And as the Iceman's zooming around on his ice slides... He's worried about the beast, so he immediately goes upstairs to check the TV to see if there's any news. Why doesn't he just go out? It's a TV that looks like a briefcase, though. I, I Maybe it is a radio. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. It looks like he's fiddling with a dial like it's a television, but it's, I mean, it's 1966, so it would be a tube television, so it's way too thin, and it has like a handle on the top of it, but it's got the rabbit it's a ears. It's radio. There you go. He's he's actually in Mr. Fan he's in the Baxter building and he's using Mr. Fantastic's radio vision. The Baxter building does have hotel rooms. There you go. There you go. See? All right. Uh and then the Iceman says, Oh, I'm not gonna let that masquerade get away with this. It's time for the real Iceman to get into action. Yes. And he immediately discovers the other Iceman, starts following him. Once again, he disappears without a trace, mm-hmm. and Iceman is now attacked by a yesteryear villain, the mysterious Eel. There's nothing mysterious about this guy. He's just stupid. It's mysterious that anybody uh, would dress like that. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. Uh, yes, the Eel strikes out. How is his costume related to an Eel? That's what I want to know. Let's assume that it's slimy. And what's his power? He he has electrical jolts. Okay, so he's like the electrical eel. He's an electrical eel. He's an electric eel, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's an electric eel. So Iceman uh, shrouds him in a box of ice. Oh, he was from Strange Tales number 117. What year was that from? Oh, uh, that was from February of 1964. Okay, so a lot of 1964 villains. Yep. Fascinating. Apparently, uh, the torch had defeated him earlier, as he states on the page there. In Strange Tales, yes. Which I guess was Strange Tales was the torch magazine for a while. Okay, okay. Ulp, he smashed through the ice prison with one electrical jolt. And then Cyclops blasts him, showing up out of nowhere. Still skulking around. Yep. He discovered Iceman and the eel... And decided to jump in, help out. Doesn't know where... uh, Nobody knows where the beast is. Mm -hmm. And that's when they are shown up by another villain. Who steps on a twig. Snap. Did you hear that? (laughs) Was that a twig that I just heard? Turn around. And it's uh, it's the Uncanny Unicorn. He literally calls himself the Uncanny Unicorn. Now, if... Yeah, I wonder, does he make everybody call him the Uncanny Unicorn? I am the Uncanny Unicorn. Okay, Unicorn. No, 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 no. no, no. Uncanny Unicorn. First of all, you're calling yourself Unicorn. Second <laughs> of all, you're putting the adjective Uncanny in front of that lame name. I'm the uncanny unicorn. At what point do the X-Men just fall down laughing? Like, I know we're going to die right now, but that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I don't know. Who's who's got a worse costume? Him or the porcupine? The porcupine. But this guy's got the worst name out of all these people. 
I mean, the unicorn is so... I mean, that's like five-year-old girls love unicorns. Like, guys aren't <laughs> like, oh, unicorns in this issue. I love unicorn. Dude, 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 no. Uncanny unicorn. Get it right. <laughs> I'm the uncanny your little pony. <laughs> Where are your wings? You're no unicorn. So apparently the unicorn's ability is to wear a helmet and shoot something out of the helmet. And have no eyes, because he has no eyes. Well, I guess he has some eyes in his helmet. But anyways, Cyclops shoots him again, or shoots him, and uh, the blast is repelled. Uh, and he, He's got some sort of energy shield. He tells us that even the mighty Iron Man couldn't defeat the Unicorn. How embarrassing. Tony Stark sat at home. That's when he became an alcoholic. He got defeated <laughs> by the Unicorn and went home and just drank bottle after bottle of vodka. He's like, ah, I got to tell Pepper Potts I got beat by the unicorn. This is ridiculous. I wouldn't tell anybody. (laughs) Well, anyhow, so that was from issue number 56 of Suspense. August. August 1964. Wow. All right. So so that's it. Everybody appeared in 1964 except for Count Nefaria, who was 1965. So he starts shooting off his mighty power horn. (laughs) Sorry. Hey, even just really saying that man, makes me laugh. You should definitely have a power horn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should all have I'm power. the mighty unicorn with my magic power horn. Wow, well, Adam, you did it wrong. He's the uncanny unicorn with his mighty power uh, horn. <laughs> too a, many syllables. It's a lot to say. <laughs> no wonder he's from yesteryear. It's, like, oh, it's too difficult to say all those things. Uh, Iceman mm-hmm. throws an ice block around his head. Which, come on, that's got to stop him. <laughs> well, I mean, Iceman has used this tactic almost in every issue, and I don't think it has ever once worked. Well, he's got ice powers. He's limited. What else is he going to do? Yeah, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, you're right. He does freeze this guy's head into a block of ice. Uh, so you would think that, yes, he would just literally fall. O- he, I mean, by all rights, he should probably be dead, don't you think? Unfortunately, he responds, little does my attacker realize that my helmet, developed by my former communist overlords, Mm, has devices even for an emergency such as this. So the communists were sitting down developing this helmet, and they were like, ah, what do we do if ice block go over? (laughs) Ah, heat helmet. Da, comrade, vodka, vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Astrobia. So anyways, um... Yeah, he, uh, so the, couldn't the Iceman, if Iceman has control over ice and can generate ice, don't you think he could just, like, freeze, literally just bypass the middleman of the ice and just freeze your head? Yeah, and why doesn't he attack any of the rest of his body? I mean, clearly he discovers right away that the thermal, that there are thermal units in his headgear. So why not freeze his arms, freeze well, his legs? I'm going to give him a little bit of credit because it's he realizes this, and he's he's younger and slower, but, but to, by the time he realizes all of that, the eel regains consciousness and shoots him in the back like a, like a coward. Yep, like a stinking eel. But this is where the eel's powers, uh, I guess he also has the ability to swim because... As soon as he shoots uh, Iceman in the back like a coward, he jumps in the water and swims away like a coward. Is there a pond in Central Park? Oh, I, I, maybe. 
Maybe it rained very heavily the night before. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe there is. I have no idea. Maybe. Well, yeah, he swims under the water to avoid Cyclops's uh, blast. And then Cyclops foolishly has turned his back on the uh, uncanny unicorn. unicorn who was not taken out. So why would he do that? Anyway, the unicorn blasts him with his power blasts from his hands. hands. So not only does he have a horn blast, but he's got hand blasts. Why even have the helmet in the first place? How is that a unicorn theme? I I get the the power horn unicorn, (laughs) but the hand blasts, I, I just don't get it. I'm with you, bro. I don't get it either. Uh, so these two, oh, so then the eel climbs back out of the water uh, because... Yeah, he just went down for a quick swim. <laughs> he's the Maybe that's part of his costume. He's like, oh, uh, it's getting dry. I need to get it wet. You know, <laughs> I don't know, limitation. He's got to, every 15 minutes, he's got to get the whole thing wet or something. So they uh, they pack up the X-Men to what looks like a hearse. Or actually kind of looks like the Ecto-1. Yeah, it does. It's kind of like a... a slash ambulance. ambulance. And they take them out to the docks. And they throw them in the water and they drown and die. (laughs) And that's the end of the X-Men and this series. So it's kind of a letdown. It'll be interesting to see how the professor revives the team. Oh, wait. No, that doesn't happen. Uh, The boat sets sail and it's at this... Wait a minute. What the hell? Okay, so I'm looking at page 18... And I see a boat on the water, and then uh-huh. on the next panel, I see Count Nefaria looking at a boat on a dock. What did I miss? Um, they loaded the X-Men into the boat. The boat takes off and meets Count Nefaria where he's been waiting oh, for the boat. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Sorry. That's totally like... All right, didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. All right, so then, then we get a finally we get a, like a nice pinup pose of Count Nefaria and all of his five super powered uh, villains, and it gets really wordy here. But that was the thing I was going to say. Like uh, I noticed in this particular issue that with the vacation of Stan Lee, it has been a lot less wordy than other issues have been. Until this page. Until this page. This page. Like, Stan came back. He's like, ah, oh, son, you need more words. Oh, fine. <laughs> but I like how it ends. Like, there's a blah, blah, blah. A lot of things here. Like, oh, it's they, they'll never take over because of trust and villain. It's whatever. Typical villainy type stuff. But at one point, he's basically a big paranoia speech. Yeah. But but he sits here, and, he, and so they're all posing. And it's kind of a cool, it is kind of a cool pinup, like, to show these villains of yesteryear. But he's like, I don't pay you to stand around looking ominous. Get to work. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize that. (laughs) So uh, one of them, I think it's a unicorn, uncanny unicorn, says, oh, Cyclops and Iceman are subdued by the eel and myself, and they've been stunned into submission, to which Count Nefaria freaks. Stunned? I thought I made it completely clear they must not be unharmed. They must be unharmed. Yeah, dude, they're stunned. There's like three panels devoted to be like, I told you not to hurt them. Yeah, I know they're stunned. I told you not to hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And then at the end of that whole tirade, he's like, good. I have secured my position as number one. <laughs> it's very weird. And the unicorn thinks to himself, pretty soon I'm going to take over this. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, and then uh, we see the X-Men are chained up in a cave somewhere. They all kind of come to consciousness. A slab of metal over his eyes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Nobody's bothering to use their powers for some reason. Like, they're chains, right? So Iceman could sub-temperately freeze the chains and snap them. Marvel Girl could do something with telekinesis. Beast could probably help out with a little bit of teamwork using his uncanny uh, uh, acrobatic skills, and Angel could flap so that they would keep cool, and, and Cyclops could mope. But eventually they'd all escape. Well, I like the fact that they tied Beast down to the floor. It makes sense. He, he doesn't have much room to wiggle around. Mm-hmm. But Marvel Girl and Ice Band don't make any sense. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh, yep. So, uh, then we move to the next page where Count Nefaria very unstunningly, in my opinion, reveals himself to the X-Men. This is such a horribly drawn panel. Yeah, it is pretty bad. It is. Uh, it's like Jay Gavin must have been tired after this. It is absolutely a- uh, awful. Uh, but anyways, there's, I don't know, there's some back babbling talk about stuff and you will join me we will never join you you will join me no you won't and then count nefaria reveals his dastardly plan he's going to steal an entire city he's going to steal the capital of the united states where does it say that on the last panel (laughs) (laughs) that's the culmination of this entire issue that's his plot He's going to steal the federal capital of the entire country and ransom it for 100, oh my gosh, $100 million. So uh, Count Nefaria sits down at the controls and aims the crosshairs at what must be the capital of, I mean, that's not the White House, so I don't know what that is. Uh, Now it's time for the drama to begin, and uh, here's what I don't get. The box at the end, you know, the enough said next issue, it says, what is the dark brooding secret which the villainous Count Nefaria hides? What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer to that question because I didn't realize there was one. <laughs> I didn't realize the question was asked. I think the dark brooding secret is that Count Nefaria is actually churl. <laughs> <laughs> and what of the uncanny unicorn? Oh, he's he's the popular one. He's the one that they go to. They don't mention the porcupine or plant man, but Unicorn, what's his plan? Well, he's got a personality. He's the only one who has a personality, really. I guess. Um, All right, so, yeah, come on back for X-Men number 23. And then they say, be here. It's your kind of yarn, pussycat. What? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, they're spinning a yarn of of a tail and... I, I know, but it's just it just seems out of left field. It does seem out of left field. Actually, a lot of those, uh, uh, well, Pussycat's probably one that they use a lot, just like the names that they call their readers. Like, I don't think that that would ever fly in a modern comic book. Like, oh, Colossus has turned into the Juggernaut. See you next issue, Pussycat. Yeah. <laughs> seem to have quite the same feeling. Last issue, Pussycat, you'll remember that the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, what the hell? <laughs> the comic book just called me a pussycat. I paid $3 for this? <laughs> Anyhow. So there you go, folks. Issue number uh, 22, uh, featuring the villains of yesteryear. 
So my experience reading this issue was that the Colosso bit was a lot of fun, and the rest of it was entertaining, and then the last few pages I kind of drifted off and started getting tired. <laughs> Clearly you had no idea what the actual plot was. I just, for, for those last two pages, they really were just a blank to me. <laughs> no, the last two pages were, were pretty boring, and if I honestly, if I hadn't have finished them up like five minutes before we started recording, I probably would have forgotten them too, because I don't know what happened in the uh, writing room, but you know, he, he obviously got like, oh my gosh, I'm out of pages, I better... Uh, I'm going to wrap this thing up and, and uh, make it you know, very wordy. I don't know, because because you're right. They're very they're two very forgettable pages. Everything that doesn't have Count Nefaria was kind of good, I thought. Yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> so anyhow. Count Nefaria was the, uh, the, the bane of this comic's existence. Uh, yeah, so I guess we get to look forward to a whole issue of Count Nefaria and his cohorts next week. So uh, yeah, Maybe they'll pick it up and he won't be so boring. Wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> if like the first panel is like Count Nefaria is like, I'm going to take over Washington. And then out of nowhere, Magneto comes and crushes his head and he's like, no. <laughs> and then also <laughs> the X-Men have to fight Magneto. And it's not even about Washington at all. And and then they defeat Magneto and they go back to, to, to the mansion and they have some more training classes. That would be an awesome issue. Does Magneto still make these new yesteryear villains his new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Oh, no. He, he, he smushes them all. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he, he just... He likes to play with the X-Men and fight them and have a good, like, repartee. But when it comes to these villains of yesterday, he just, he finds power lines and anything else that's magnetic and just shoots it right through their hearts. Just dead. <laughs> done. He's not screwing around with them. Enough said. <laughs> Enough said, pussycats. All right, so uh, drop us a line at uh, DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com. Visit us at Facebook.com forward slash DangerRoomPodcast. Where else can they get us, Adam? At Danger Room Go. Did you mention the webpage? Yeah, you can go to www.redcatproductions.com forward slash Danger Room and uh, check out all of the issues. And one of the new cool things we're doing is we're adding some of the choice panels of the comic book right on the page. So if you don't have uh, a reproduction or the original issue or some sort of guide, you can at least get the jokes that sometimes we're telling that relate to a panel. Yeah. I'm I'm hopeful that this issue will contain Porcupine Man, but but that's Adam's call. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> I think that's about it. So uh, and also you can go onto iTunes and leave a leave a you know leave a review there or something. I mean, geez, come on, we're delivering all of this uh, this wonderful material to you. The least you could do is just just ping us back with something. But if you choose not to, we will be here next week. Same X time, same <laughs> X channel. Mm-hmm. All right, well then, I guess until then, uh, the danger room is closed.